Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. I want to welcome you to the Roundtable Consult. I am your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and you will notice that I am not joined today by my co-host, Attorney Sonia Madison. She's out this week. But I am excited today to be co-hosting. I have a guest co-host with you today. Uh, you, he's no stranger to the Roundtable Consult. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Eric Medej, and he'll come in and join us. How are you doing, Eric? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for having right. me on again. Appreciate it. It's always fun to, to be on your, on your Roundtable Consult. I appreciate the, the invite. Oh, it's always interesting to have you on. <laughs> we always <laughs> we know it's going to be an interesting conversation when Eric joins us. Um, Eric, you know this this week I was thinking I was mentioning before. Um, I saw a post. Someone posted something about it was a picture of Morgan Freeman. Okay, and they said just because we disagree doesn't mean that we don't have to be friends or that we can't be friends. Or just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that I hate you. Right. Uh, and and I'm I'm grateful that we have embraced that concept. But one of the things that I thought about this past week is that just because I argue a point that's contrary to yours doesn't mean that I I don't agree with yours. Right. And and, you know, I think a lot of people misconstrue that. For me, I will argue sometimes a perspective that I don't necessarily agree with. And I do that intentionally, not just because I enjoy debate which I do enjoy debate. I was going to say, I think that's the heart of our, you and I have very similar in that regards. We, we like to debate, let's say high level debates is what. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. But yeah. one of the reasons why I do it is because I think that's how we interrogate truth. And right. uh, we eventually get to the truth. And interrogation is simply a formal or a systematic inquiry. Uh, in, in order to uncover facts and or truth. And without asking the questions and without exploring the counter argument, we never really arrive at truth. And I was thinking about this before. I said even our legal system knows the difference there and, know, and understands the importance of being able to argue both sides. The prosecution presents his case, its case, and then the defense has an opportunity to provide a defense, an opposing view, an opposing perspective. And unfortunately, I'm seeing in our society that people don't want the opposing belief. They're, they're, they're just totally opposed to anything that argues against a point that they believe or their paradigm. Do you find that to be true yourself? Not for yourself, but are you finding yeah. that to be? Well, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, and that's what I appreciate about, about you and your background as a scientist, which um, you, you've really pushed me to in, in, your, in your discussions with me that, man, I can't just say 
something that I heard on the internet. I, I got to go and make sure that I have some substance behind it. It's just not a talking point. And so I, I, I believe it or not, I mean, you've, you've pushed me to make sure what I'm the position that I take, because I know you're going to push back and you're going to interrogate my position, not because you're trying to interrogate me, but it's just as, as a scientist, I mean, you have to look at all perspectives. And I think in, in, in what you concluded with there, asked me, you know, kind of the transition question, um, what, why, why people don't want to find that truth is I think sometimes people take it too personal and they're not really maybe necessarily after the truth, the, the, there's a, there's a personal element that I believe you and I have the ability to set aside the, the personal side of it. And we can talk a concept and then walk away at the end of the day. You know, that's one of the things I grew up with in my family, man, we'd have, we go to family, you know, events, whatever it is. And there's always high, I call them high level discussions, <laughs> but <laughs> there's always high level discussions. And I mean, loud, just, you know, arguing back and forth. And when it's that all at the end of the day, man, we give each other a hug. We walk away. We don't agree. We don't see eye to eye, but we're family. We love each other. And I extend that, you know, outside of just my flesh and blood family, you know, that's, that's just the way that I, I treat people. And some people can handle that. Some people can't, but I think it's that personal element that people attach to what they want to believe as truth, whether it is or not, there's the, that we have to get over that personal hurdle. What, what do you think about that? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. It sounds like we grew up in the same family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe there's some benefit in doing that. And and because I imagine that there are people who grew up in families where there was almost no confrontation. And if there was some confrontation or if there was some disagreement, the the whole harmony of the place and the the atmosphere of the home was dramatically impacted and such that people become uncomfortable with confrontation. Confrontation yeah. is not always bad, I don't think. I think uh, the Bible gives the example, it says iron sharpens iron. Have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? Sparks right. fly when it happens. Yeah, exactly. You know? Probably it's not, get, heat, it's heated up. And, yeah, you know, it's, it, it gets hot. I call those intense moments of fellowship. <laughs> and yeah. so well, we have to have those. And I'm honestly sharper because of my discussions with, you know, with your perspectives. I mean, it made me sharper and, and you know. I'm a man of faith and, and I agree. Uh, we agree uh, on issues of faith in many instances. Uh, it's the execution of that faith sometimes that yeah. we, that we sometimes differ on. And, and you, you helped me to think a lot more differently than I ordinarily would. My scientific brain always wants to go this way, this way, this way. And I guess one of the most valuable things that you have sort of taught me is to, to imagine um, why do I have faith in the, in the information that I receive and always to question that even the information that you've deemed to be credible and valid may in and of itself be flawed. And which which causes me to think like, man, what can you believe these days? I mean, is there anything such as truth anymore? Because um, truth becomes a matter of perspective rather than a matter of fact and a matter of a constant. It always seems to be evolving and truth can never really be known. But uh, before we get into that topic today, I wanted to 
get on uh, mention a couple of things that's been going on in the news. Let's start with a, a little lighter hearted uh, moment. And we have uh, this past week witnessed the first African-American to win the Scripps uh, National Spelling Bee. Uh, her name is uh, Zayla Avant-Garde. I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, or uh, Avant-Garde. Uh, she is a 14-year-old girl from New Orleans, Louisiana, who won the spelling bee uh, by spelling correctly Maria. I would never, I don't even know what the word is. <laughs> but I lose. Uh, well, you lose, exactly. <laughs> She's a, uh, oh, this was actually one of the easier words that she spelled. I'm looking at some of the other ones. I'm like, oh my God, I can barely pronounce that word. But Maria is a type of a tree. And she said that she won it by focusing on the famous comedian Bill Murray. And so, uh, <laughs> which is quite interesting. He may get a little bit of credit there. But I hope you don't get all this credit, a white man trying to steal credit from a 14-year-old black girl. Right. <laughs> you know I had to throw that in there for you, Eric. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, you, I, 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 I agree more with you than you think I, than you, think I do. you know, I had, to, I had to throw that in there because, you know, everybody says that, you know, I have to throw race into everything. You know, you always got to make things about race. And no, this was not necessary. Well, I guess that was really about race. If you say you got the first African-American uh, winner of the National Spelling Bee. She is not the first black winner, though, which I think uh, a lot of people may have forgotten that in 1998, there was a um, a winner. She was Jamaican and she won the National um, Spelling Bee in 1998. Jody Ann Maxwell was her name. And so um, we are grateful that we have such icons uh, not only just in the athletic field, like a lot of times we like to uh, put people out and say, well, you know, the athletic prowess of black people. There's also academic prowess, which, you know, I don't want us to forget about. Um, so that's that's something that's been positive in the news. I'll tell you what. It was interesting. We were talking about. Um, about people stealing things from black people and uh I learned a new word this week. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. It's called, you heard of blackface, right? Yes. I, There's a thing called black fishing. Have you heard of that before? I have not. That's interesting. I was uh, surprised to learn about this, this term called black fishing. And usually it's attributed to celebrities who, um, you know, imitate or, uh, try to assume the appearance and or the persona of black people. And this is apparently a, a term that's probably only about two or three years in the making. But I guess some of the celebrities that have been accused of doing it is like Isa Azalea. You know, I guess she must have had a recent video where, you know, typically she's this fair skinned blonde woman. And all of a sudden her skin tone appears darker in the in the um in her recent video uh kim kardashian has been accused of it actually uh bruno mars even for that matter has been accused of it and and you would think that some people will say that imitation is the highest form of flattery and maybe this is our distorted thinking uh as a people i don't know um 
But when people imitate you, you would think that that would be a compliment. And I personally think that it is. But this whole concept of black fishing recently came up where they were saying that the reason or at least the motivation behind it is because uh, they can then co-opt some of the marketing benefit of having this racial ambiguity. Maybe not so bad to adopt racial ambiguity in the in the in the uh, in the first place so that we don't have a whole lot of tension back and forth. In fact, my belief is that over the next several generations, we're going to have so much racial ambiguity that you probably can't tell who's what. I have a hard time right now trying to identify people's ethnicities and races just because the colors are are changing so much. And so, right. yeah. Like you, I don't even know what your racial background is. I, I always presumed that you're white, but you've got more of an olive tone to your skin than the typical. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that actually the um, this week. You know, um, you know, we had you know, where where do we get the, to the point where we identify with our skin color? Like, I don't want to be limited to white because my skin color is white. I mean, in I don't know. Is that a race? Is that race? You know, when we, is it ethnicity? Is, I mean, how do we, where do we identify? What does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be black? What, you know, I personally, I mean, my father had bronze skin tone as far as I could tell. You know, his Naturally. Son, no, I'm being, I'm being somewhat funny. Oh. My father in heaven, I don't know what color his oh. skin is. <laughs> Uh oh, we've heard it. We've heard it. We've heard it described as bronze. Um, uh oh, Daniel. Uh oh, what is I not go there? We've got Eric online saying that Jesus was not a white man. Uh oh, he was. <laughs> That's gonna get you in trouble with some of your friends. Well, newsflash: he wasn't white, but <laughs> it was impossible <laughs> to be white. But we don't. We don't know. We've. I've, I've never seen him. Um, I've heard de depictions of him. Daniel said that he had bronze feet when he showed up. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying is, you know, do, do we identify with the, with the, the color of our skin or do we, I don't know, but, but my, my flesh background, I, I can't, my ancestors came from Poland. They mm. actually, they actually fled Poland during the, my great grand, my great grandparents, left Poland because they were rounding up Jews to go send them into a concentration camp. And so I, I came from, my ancestors came from running away so they didn't get killed in World War II through that whole stuff over in, in, the, in the Europe. Yeah. I do think that race apparently matters. I think it even mattered even in the Bible. Uh, when you use the example of Jesus coming to, and Jesus, people who say, I don't see color. I'm like, stop. Jesus saw color. Jesus saw race. Uh, Jesus saw cultural backgrounds. He understood it. The difference is you can see it, but the question is, are you going to discriminate against somebody because of that? Are you going to have a negative bias toward them because of that? I don't see anything wrong with having a special sensitivity towards somebody because of it. Um, but so for that reason, that's why I need you to see that I'm a black man. I need you to see when you see that I'm a black man, I need you to understand that there are some things that you might deem 
uh, not offensive that that immediately if I hear you say it because of my history, because of uh, words that have come out from your mouth in the past, not your mouth, but people like you, their mouths in the past or the way that I've been treated by people like you, whether that's black or white, it might be deemed as offensive. We had a discussion this past week about, um, you know, someone made a comment and said something. Oh, what was it? it was Joe Biden had kneeled before the uh, president, um, actually the secretary of state, I think it was of, of Israel yeah, in, in a meeting sure. at the White House. And so they snapped a picture of him on his knees before this lady. And somebody said, well, was he's maybe... Before minister. both of them, and yeah, so it wasn't just before the lady is is, be, be, both of them were in the picture, right? The context is that he was bowing before the lady, who apparently served in this high profile position, at while parenting and being a mother to twelve children, and actually being in school for obtaining a PhD. She was doing some incredible things, and Joe Biden knelt before this woman. And while he was on his knees, someone made the comment. He said, well, maybe he's just assuming the position of horizontal Harris. And immediately I sat and thought, first of all, that's that's inappropriate. That's misogynistic. We should not say these type of things about our vice president. Uh, but then secondly, I wondered, I said, now, would you have that same perspective? And would you be so readily so ready to make that comment if this was not a person of color? And. Um, as a result, it could be racially offensive. Whether you intended it to be offensive or not, it can be offensive if you say things like this, not taking into account somebody's social uh, and historical backgrounds or cultural backgrounds. You wind up, you run the risk of, of offending them. You know, Bible says that it's impossible that offenses won't come. You're always going to offend somebody, no question about it. But he said, woe unto him by whom they come, because it's better that a millstone be tied around his neck than he be cast into this and that he be cast into the sea rather than to offend one of these. Even the least of those people who you think, oh, I can offend them and it wouldn't matter. Thoughts, comments? Yeah, no, I was, a, um, I, was I agree with what you're saying. Um, it's it's so hard for, for anyone to really know a person's uh, background as to what they've experienced to know if, if there's a conversation or a joke that is said that whether pro appropriate or inappropriate, I'm not, I'm not defending that to be an appropriate statement, but uh, we don't know what, what a person has ever experienced to, to know that, man, that, that was offensive to them. We don't know. And I, I would just, I would just respond that, um, that I don't think that people would intentionally like if if we if somebody knew that you would take that a comment not just that comment a comment offensive now there's an intent behind it and I, I'm not sure as though the the intent is to offend in a, in a in a comment like that again jokingly or unjokingly there's also a level of intent to like I'm trying to offend you so if now you know it let's say, you know, a joke is made, you know, and, you know, and I'll give you, I'll give you an example uh, and I'll bring race into it. Um, you know, I'll have, I'll have white people make 
make jokes when black people aren't around and I'll say, you know what, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of black friends. I, I find that offensive. I would rather you not, you know, talk about, you know, joke like that around me. I get, I get made fun of, I get called names. Other people respect that and they don't, they don't say stuff around me anymore, you know, that type of stuff around me anymore. But I didn't immediately take offense to their, to their joke. I, I, I presented it and said, Hey, you know what, that's, you know, I, I would appreciate you not saying that I would take, I would, uh, you know, that that's, that's offensive to me. Now the choice is in their hands as to whether or not they want to intentionally try to offend me or not. And, and that's what, what, you know, in following that discussion on, on the, on the Facebook, it, it, it again, enlightened me, Mark, to things I didn't know. I have things I had no idea that, um, would be offensive to a person of color. I, I had no idea. And so that was uh, another another education for me. So a couple of things came to mind as a result of that. And honestly, mm -hmm. that's why I'm glad we have these type of conversations because they make me think about things that I just never would really would have thought about before. And two of the things that made me think about it is, is one, are we overly uh, sensitive about, about offense? should we be and um is there some onus that we have to say well you need to work on not being so easily offended i get that and and, and I'll, I'll accept that one the other thing was the the component of intention does it really matter what the intention was if an offense occurs it to me whether you intended to do it or if you or if it was unintentional it still occurred and so as a result, there should be some uh, remedy for that rather than a defense for it to say, well, well, that shouldn't be offensive. Well, that, you don't get the right to determine or I don't get the right to determine what's offensive to you. The only thing I get the right to do is to either accept your uh, allegation or your communicate or assertion that it was offensive or I can reject it. And if I accept it, hopefully, then I will apologize for it and try to make amends for it and try to avoid doing it again so that you have some some element of repentance for it. If I reject it, then I will continue to defend it and possibly will keep repeating it. And then I don't think that I can actually um, claim to be one who seeks unity if I refuse to hear your offense. The Bible says that if if your brother offends you, that you should go to that person and make him aware of his offense. Now, he right. put the onus on the offended to, to take the first step, because if I'm offended by something you say and I never communicate it to you, then you never know. And you you are then likely to continue to repeat that offense. Right. When I take it to you, the Bible says, if he hears you, then you've gained a brother. Then you've been able to work toward unity. It didn't say whether he whether he uh, defends it, if he defends it, whether he justifies it or whether he placates it or or downplays it or diminishes what it really meant. It, it didn't even make any comment about what the intent needed to be. It was just a mere fact that offense occurs regardless of intentionality and the way to come to unity is to hear that communication and to make the subsequent adjustments. Yep. I agree. Yeah. 
so I, I thought that, you know, the intentionality and a lot of people immediately go toward to intentionality and then they start defending themselves. They say, well, I couldn't have offended you because that's not what I meant to do. Like, no, you can still offend me even if you don't mean to do it. Well, my, when I say intentionality, what I'm referring to is that initially a comment is made, let's say with no intent to offend. Now you brought you bring up, hey, that was offensive. Now I'm aware that was offensive. If I do it again, now it's with intent. If I, it, you know what I'm saying? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just um, so sometimes people make comments and we don't know that it's, it's we, we're, we're unaware. And that's what I mean by unintentionally offending. Don't we don't know. I, we have no idea sometimes what what offends somebody, what you know, what doesn't. But as as you bring awareness, like you said, when there is an offense, you bring awareness. Now it's in my now it's in my court. Do I stop it? If I do it again, now there's there's definite intent. Or is that? We don't agree. I hear I hear you saying it stand with definite intent, but I would think that the person would argue that um, I'm not intending to. Uh, well, let me say it this way. Some people will reject the idea that it is an offense or that type of offense. And in this case, I said it was a racial, I said that it was racially offensive. And I was accused of bringing race into it when race didn't belong there. Uh, And there was no mention of race. And I don't think that you have to mention race in order for something to have racial undertones. I don't think you have to mention race in order for it to, to have racial implications or to be racially insensitive. You don't have right. to mention it. There are things that are his, have historically been attributed to black people in a negative light that if you call a black person, like the whole Maxine Waters thing, when they call, when Trump called her a dog, you know, there was a whole lot of people who uh-huh. said, you know, well, that's not racial. He called her woman a dog. Well, to you, that's not racially offensive, but to people who have been called dogs, and who have been treated like dogs uh, for generations, yes, it's offensive if you call me a dog. Uh, The the most interesting one to me is when people say, oh, he's an articulate man, and they refer to a black man. Wow, that really gets under the skin of a lot of black people. And I'm sitting thinking like, personally to me, it's not offensive. I'm glad to be articulate. I, 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 recalled distinctly in the eighth grade saying, I'm going to properly use the English language and I will learn how to, to, you know, expand my vocabulary and use this appropriately. And so I can articulate any kind of point that I choose to, I'm not offended by you calling me articulate, but there are a lot of black people who will be offended. If you call them, if you say that he's an articulate man, which means that can you reason yeah, why? Explain, yeah. Explain that. Cause I, I've, I would not have known that that would have been, you know, like, and this is, this is crazy, but like that I, you know, when I, I think of my conversations with you, I'm like, man, I am not as articulate as Mark is. So I would use that in a description. I would have no idea that that would have been racially offensive. I had no idea. Like, Oh, it sets a lot of people. Help educate, help help educate us white viewers. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we're getting the truth, right? The topic is truth. So we gotta know we gotta know this stuff. We don't know the background or history of it if we don't know. And- and you can never possibly know all of it. And that's right. what I was saying to somebody before. I said, I wish there were a list of things that we could say that these are the do's and don'ts. And the truth of the matter is, is that you never really find it out until sometimes you cross that line. You don't know, hey, there's a boundary there until sometimes you've crossed it unless somebody told you. In fact, for me, sometimes I haven't really even discussed, discovered that there were boundaries that I had until an event occurred. And you'd be like, wait a minute, I didn't like the way that that felt. And it produced something in me that I thought had a racial undertone for the articulation piece. um, A lot of black people take offense to that just because they feel like in the past, you know, we've been treated like, you know, we are unintelligent, even if we haven't used the language the way that uh, Americans, white America use the language. it does not mean that we're unintelligent. And so all of a sudden, when someone says that a black man is articulate, it usually is conflated with being intelligent. And therefore, someone who uh, is articulate is surprisingly intelligent. And I don't know why it should be surprising that a black man or black woman would be intelligent, but The reason why is because it's never been the standard black people and black intelligence has never been the standard for American uh, measures of intelligence. What has been white people and the way that they use the language determines it. I recall this specifically. And when I was doing my graduate, uh, my Ph.D. studies, we had a lot of people who were there, very intelligent people who spoke English as a second language. And so their English was very broken. And as they're presenting their research, it sounded very quote unquote unintelligent because they did not have a strong command of the English language. And so myself, I had to keep thinking and consciously thinking that just because this person doesn't articulate or doesn't speak in English, uh, speak English the way that I think that they should, or they don't speak it fluently, does not mean that they're unintelligent. Because these were some very brilliant people who were presenting their work. But I, I saw in that moment how I could actually um, impose that type of a bias on another person. And so it's not just white people and black people or anything like that. It's it's just the whole concept of saying that we have been indoctrinated in this society to believe that the only way that you can be deemed as intelligent is if you speak the Queen's English mm. yeah, as, as it was written. And so uh, I think a lot of black people get offended by that. And maybe I didn't articulate the, that as as fluently or or as completely as those people who would be offended by it could uh because i'm not offended by it and so i hope i've i hope i've uh represented it well for those people who are if not feel free to chime in and and expound on that on the round table concept we'll take any of your comments insults and questions for that matter (laughs) yeah no i appreciate that i think i mean the moral of the story is even like what you had just said you know, that particular thing does not offend you personally, but it could be offensive to somebody else. And the thing isn't to have to, um, you know, people make the comment, oh, we always have to bring race into it. That's not what, that's not what Mark is saying. He just, it's just, we just need to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters and how they feel. And if this is how they feel, we need to be sensitive to, to that feeling 
and, and help overcome that and just see things through other people's perspectives. And I'll only always see it through our perspective and our point of view and our eyes. Yeah. I've got one viewer who actually threw out another one of the comments that says, and you're so well-spoken, you know, like people are surprised when you see a black person who's well-spoken and, and, and I get how they can get offended by that, but I'm saying, come on people. It's, it's cut some slack every once in a while. Um, they also say we weren't seen as intelligent unless we used our captors language. Ooh, that was, ooh, that's strong. <laughs> but that's true when you start thinking about it. Eric, have you ever, and this is when, and I guess we transition into this critical race theory thing. Um, and, I, and I don't know how, how well versed you are on critical race theory, but I know there has been a lot of discussion lately about what critical race theory is and what it isn't. And there's a lot of fear that is mounting about what it's going to teach our children. It'll teach white children to hate themselves and black people to teach, to believe that they're perpetual victims. And I don't know where half of this stuff, I do know where it comes from. It comes from fake media and, and people who are looking for a reason to divide us. So what they'll do is they'll misrepresent what the concept is, what the idea is in order to garner a very visceral and, and vitriolic response from their base. And I think that that's unfair to do that. If we're going to debate something, let's debate what the, the truth of the matter is. You may have seen, you saw this uh, post I put there before. It was a baby being thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah. I called the baby critical race theory but the yeah. water is the implementation of that and some of the bad policies that may be uh, different school districts may have implemented in order to, um, in a good effort, maybe, maybe a well-intentioned, but sometimes good intentions produce bad results and it needs to be evaluated, examined and thrown out. But the point is, is that there's a lot of people who are afraid of this critical race theory. And I think it's necessary to be taught. The reason why is because there has always been a standard in the United States. And that standard has always been established by white people. And therefore, if you never really measured up to that standard, then you... Uh, are less than. So if you don't speak the English language like white people speak the English language, then you're less than. If you don't wear your hair like white people wear their hair, or if your hair is uh, coarse and kinkly and not fine, straight and blonde, then you're less than. Now, nobody ever has to say that in those words, right? But when when it's reiterated and imagery, when it's reiterated on the television and for a period of time in the 80s and 90s, all you saw, if there was someone who committed a crime on the news, if it was a black person, they'd show the face. If it was a white person, they never really would show the face. They'd mention the name, but they never would show it. Did you ever, have you ever paid attention to that? I mean, me personally, I, I can recall, like, because I just know certain, several people in in Nebraska, where I was from, white people that committed crimes and their face was all over the place. But I wouldn't say that, that was, that's exclusive. I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm not denying what, what you're saying, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that's a. What was the word uh, like all the time? It, it's a 100 percent. That's the case all the time. Well, is there is that happen more than it happens 
you know, with, with a, a black person, I would say, I wouldn't have no argue. That probably is absolutely hundred percent true, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree that, that, you know, hundred percent of the time they never show a white person's face if they were committed a crime. No, nothing ever happens a hundred percent of the time. And so when you start looking, the, the, the key, I think, to evaluating fairness is looking at proportionality. And you can never look to say, and this is one of the things that I'm, I'm challenged with because people look at me and say, well, look at you, you're a successful black man. You got two doctorates and, and you, you've never been arrested. You've stayed out of trouble. You are an example that, you know, everything is fine in America and that we don't have problems and that there are no impediments to success for people of color. Well, that's a false flag right there. That's a false flag argument because it's, it says that, you know, even though some exist, and some um, get through, there's, some, there's a bell-shaped curve, bottom line. There's always some people at the top. There's always some people on the bottom. There's always outliers. But the key thing is, is where is the bulk, where's the bulk of the people? Where, 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 what do what the proportionalities show? And when you start looking at those, then you get a better view of whether or not fairness exists. And so if you look, and I think they have done studies like this, this probably was decades ago, where they looked at the number of perpetrators who were, who had actual images shown on television. And it showed that blacks were disproportionately more likely to have a picture of them and usually the mugshot uh, shown when they were telling the story than the white people were. And, and what do you think that reinforced the image that reinforced the notion for little black kids that, oh, wow, all the bad things in this world happen because of black people. Guess what? If it did that to little black kids, it also did that to little white kids. And I'm sensitive to people who believe that critical race theory is going to teach little white kids to hate themselves. But there's nothing inherent in critical race theory that will say to a white person, you're bad. It says white people in the past have done some things that have carried over into today's society that disadvantage black people. For example, you know, you could even look at how specifically critical race theory, critical race theory deals with how racism influenced the laws. But you can also expand that into more social impact. You can start looking at the impact of white imagery and black imagery. You can look at, we, I'm grateful for sitcoms like Sanford and Son, but if you look at Sanford and Son, what, what image did you have? You were saying, okay, I see black, I see black, a black family is an entrepreneur, but look how they live in. You know, you see good times. Look how they're living. This is this is what the expectation is for black people in America. You can well, look at and then Cosby, the, though. Yeah, then Cosby came along. Cosby came along, and then all of a sudden, wow, it was groundbreaking. Groundbreaking because yeah. look at that. You finally see black people in a good image. You also had George Jefferson, uh, but George Jefferson. And for some people, he was a nut, but that that's what made the story. But even still, yeah. he was a successful black person. And some of these things, Norman Lear was groundbreaking in some of his uh, presentation. But the point is, is that you've got a whole lot of imagery that we think that just because somebody didn't say specifically say that a white person is better than you doesn't mean that it wasn't said because it's said it, it has been said for generations 
both verbally and nonverbally. And some of those nonverbal cues are more impactful than the verbal ones because they're constant. So I have a question on that. Um, something that just came to my mind. So what, how does, how does a show like leave it to beaver? How does that paint an image to the black community of white people? Do, do you, oh. do you, does, does the black people grow up thinking that all white people live in this leave it to beaver house and everything is so great and, you know, in leave it to beaver world? I don't think I don't think, again, the, the whole uh, speaking in absolute terms is always a danger to me. And so when you start saying that all people are like that, I think that's an error. But when you start thinking that the majority or at least far more of them live this way than we do, then I think it really does communicate that image to say that, hey, look at look at beavers, look at the cleavers. They're much better off than the Evans from Good Times. And you've already at that point established a social and a socioeconomic hierarchy with guess who's at the top? White people. And so uh, nobody intended to teach that. And and, and I'm not saying that the um, that the laws some in some cases, I think the laws were intended to disadvantage black people. I don't think that America today wants to disadvantage black people. But if the system was created to favor white men in particular, um, that means it would actually disfavor white women, too. But, you know, to a lesser extent, then it will disfavor black men and black women. But if the system was built to favor a white patriarchy and it was never renovated, consciously renovated to alleviate those uh, advantages that the white patriarchy enjoys, the system then continues to be uh, slanted against black people. That's the truth of the matter. Um, and, and so now people look at the laws and they say, well, our laws um, are one thing. Our laws say this, but it's the execution of those laws that's the problem. It's the same situation with the, uh, as we said, with the with critical race theory. Critical race theory is one is is an ideal or something like that, but it's the execution and or the implementation of that that becomes the problem. And that's the same situation that we're we're claiming that exists with our laws today. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't uh, I don't disagree. I still have not really honed in on everything that this, that critical race theory is about. I'm still trying to weed out the emotion of it, the politicizing of it, and to try to figure out. I don't even know who wrote it, who, where it, where it originated from. Um, I know some of the talking points I hear, you know, that that you talk on, and I don't, I don't disagree that. I mean, some of this stuff, I, I don't have a problem with some of it being taught as a as a you know this is what happened in our in our history and and things still are not on on an equal playing field and this system needs to get corrected but you know when we when we look at the truth of the matter like we you're what would you call the an opening the extinction of truth extinction of truth you know does you know who controls the system who controls you know how do we change the system does the people who control the system 
you know, that's where you, you know, my conspiracy brain goes that there's a group of people who don't want us united. They know that if you and I are united as uh, white, white friends and black friends, we, and we don't have this racial divide anymore, that together we can create and overtake this system that they created. That's the, that's the only thing that I, I disfavor or just don't like about what I hear as a result of teaching or talking about critical race theory is it ends up, it ends up, so what I hear, I'm not saying this is absolute, but that it, it shows that, man, white people are bad. White people did this to us. And I'm walking down the street and I'm like, well, I didn't, what did I do? I, I want to help solve the problem, but I can't help solve the problem because I'm viewed as the problem. And those are, those are things that I, I view, not necessarily the concepts and like you said, the implementation of it, but how, how do we come together as, as a people, not, not a white man and a black, like a people, how do we come together and, and, and fix this? Um, is that a, when, when there's, in my opinion, is that when there's when there's people who control the system who don't want it fixed? Yeah, and 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 if those are the people who don't want it fixed, they're the ones who also will misrepresent and uh, mischaracterize something that potentially can uh, bring us together. I don't think that you can ever. I guess you can come together on a lie. You can come together and believe a lie, uh, but eventually truth will come out and someone will have to believe the truth. And if you don't want the truth to come out because it disfavors your, or at least it exposes some of your fallibilities, then um, you will fight to prevent that truth from coming out. And, and I think that's what was happening with the critical race theory is just simply Maybe it is just, you know, I don't be, let me go on your side a little bit and start thinking. Maybe it is just all a, a ploy to keep us divided. It very well may be. Uh, it's not that critical race theory is seeking to divide us. It's people are exploiting and misrepresenting right. critical race theory to keep us divided. Because I believe that most people, you know, when most of our laws were written, they were written during times when black people were enslaved. They right. were written during times during Jim Crow era. And when black people were treated as second class citizens, and you know, some people will argue that they still are, but those were the people who wrote those laws. Let me ask you this question. When did they change? When did those laws change? How did they change? How did you change the implementation of it? They made it illegal to, to, um, to discriminate based off of color but they didn't make it illegal to treat somebody different because of it and to think about somebody different because of it, because you can't change people's mindsets. You can change laws, but you can't change mindsets through the law. And right. so if people still think uh, differently and they still think uh, uh, race, uh, if they still have uh, prejudice or biased thinking, and it reflects in some of the legal things that they're able to do, you still project that that image of superiority or inferiority without by but by legal means without breaking the law. So what, what would be an example of a law that was passed pre 
um, I, and I, I don't, I do not view black people as second class citizens. I don't, I, I view everyone on, on level playing field. I, so I'm, when I say this term, I'm not saying it from my perspective. I'm repeating what you said that how, how do we, when, what, give me, what is an example of a law that was passed when blacks were viewed as second class citizens that has not changed that still affects um affects that today oh no i'm saying the laws i'm saying the laws have changed oh but the implementation of the law the mindsets still haven't changed the the laws that were let's say for example when police were started policemen were started precisely to uh keep slaves from escaping and to prevent slaves from assembling for the purpose of escaping that's why the police so the police from its inception has been targeted at black people has said this is what your primary target is going to be so when black people were free the emancipation okay so you can no longer have these cops targeting black people so then what they do is they start targeting poor people they start targeting poor people you disproportionately represent the poor by black people you still have black people still being targeted even though it is not by a a written decree or a law you have then also uh sentence sentencing guidelines you say okay well the 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 law says that for this crime you can get between five years and 30 years white people get closer to five years black people get closer to 30 years but it's all within the law though right but why does it have why are black people disproportionately getting 30 years not because they committed the crime that was worse there was a woman uh an elderly woman that was just recently released i think she had 25 years in jail for for some minor infraction and then when she was released she she had some other oh gosh i wish i could remember what the story was but the bottom line is is that this woman should never have been in jail for 25 years for her infraction when other white people did the same thing or worse and have gotten a fifth of that sentence so it's really the implementation of those laws and until we begin to explore the truth about how disparate those things are then we we continue on in the illusion that there is fairness and equality when there really isn't. So you bring up, you brought up an interesting point um, on one of our Facebook discussions. Um, we probably won't have time to get into today, but uh, I want to at least comment on that since you're talking about it right now, the, the whole um, crimp, the whole jail system being uh, the uh, corporation and, like what was it? Would you say it was a twenty-five billion dollar a year industry? Yeah, something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or five billion, or I think it was five billion. So just think about that in and of itself, and and and, and how many? Again, a, a warning, conspiracy brain warning, comment. Okay, so these courts, the courts are set up as for-profit corporations, judges. I'm not saying all judges are bad or corrupt. I'm saying some are. I'm saying they they have special retirement accounts that more normal people don't have, and it profits them to send people to jail. And so into this prison system. And again, 
it, it may or may not, I'm not saying it's not a racial thing. I'm saying it could be an easier um, racial, an easier opportunity to capitalize on this profit system using one one race over another. But I would I'm I'm saying all this to, to say to look at the system also, not just the uh, I'm not disagreeing with your, you know, that more black people are sentenced longer than that. I'm saying that every time someone is sentenced, there's a there's a reward behind oh, I don't yeah. I don't doubt that and I don't discount that. In fact, my 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 thoughts are evolving a little bit more um to thinking that it's not so much of a racist problem in America as as it was in the past. It's much more of a classist problem. And it was a classism problem from the beginning. The problem was the reason what made it racist was because the people who were relegated to the lower class were based were usually black people and what determined whether you were going to be in the lower class was your race. And so you can probably say that the, the root of it was racism and classism birthed out of that or classism produced racism one or the other. Okay. I don't, I, you know, I haven't really thought enough about it to be able to determine whether I believe which came first, the chicken or the egg, but they go hand in hand. And so the prison system is the way that it is right now is because it exploits the poor. Right. The people, people who can't afford to get the good attorneys, people who can't afford to pay bail, wound up spending much more time in prison. And when they're in prison, they're pretty much treated like slave labor. And so that was just another way to keep blacks enslaved in the in the past was just say, OK, well, let's send them all to jail. Let's readily find ways to send them to jail. Those are the right. behaviors that have occurred in the past that really, you know, just because you say, OK, in 1972, we're going to stop doing this doesn't mean that the effect doesn't carry on until 1996, 2005, 2015. Those things still carry on. 2021, did you see, I, I, I was looking, I was trying to, believe it or not, Facebook blocks some of my posts that I want to make. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't believe that. <laughs> but I found it interesting in some of the uh, um, one one website I go to that people would in Facebook, just because it came from this website, it's just the URL that they block because it came from this particular website that I well, this news source website had an article. Uh, maybe it's on other other websites, too. I don't know. But I just saw it on this website. Uh, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the city off the top of my head. I'd have to go look it up again. A police chief was um, caught on camera putting KKK stuff on a black police officer's desk. I don't know. Did you hear this? I didn't hear that. No. Yeah. And so I was like, then they're talking about this guy's getting fired. And I, I, I wanted to put a post out there. And so you would see that I um, I support getting rid of these, these criminals, in my opinion. Um, who still operate at that level? Even I mean, and this isn't this isn't a, a police officer against black civilian. This is within the own within the own police district. They're getting there's this discrimination that still exists today, and so I mean, white people have to be aware of this. And I mean, this isn't right. This type of stuff has to be dealt with, 
if we're going to move forward as, as Americans, either we're all Americans or we're not patriots. So those of you that call yourselves patriots, the, the, there's no skin color to patriots. And um, we have to be able to speak up and speak out, you know, for everybody. And this police chief, I'm glad he's getting getting removed and um, that they need to remove more more people like that so we can have good police officers that do not discriminate. I didn't know if you saw, I wanted to bring that up because, yeah, it did stop in 2005. We still have that going on today, Mark, and most yeah, people don't realize it. But that's what I think critical race theory explores. It's that's all it is. This is it's an inquiry to say how are how what how does the legacy of racism impact our laws and the execution of those laws today or the implementation of those laws today? Uh, one of one of our viewers said that that apparently happened in Columbus, Ohio. The police chief that you refer. That's right. To. I, I thought it was Ohio. I couldn't remember what city. But yeah, thank you yeah. for clarifying that. Yeah, well, I don't know that we ever really got to our topic today here. <laughs> oh, Eric, so I have to talk about it later. But you did mention how Facebook was blocking uh, the post, and and I did see this past week how uh, Donald Trump is is apparently filing lawsuit against uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I think, or whoever, uh, for regulating and limiting his uh, or censoring his speech and kicking him off their platform. Um, That's a topic for a whole other discussion. That's a a whole can of worms there. Well, well, hopefully we can get you back next week or so. We can actually talk about what we were supposed to talk about today. And we'll include that whole piece of the extinction of truth and the censorship of, uh, of American speech, uh, whether or not social media, platforms and those who host free speech have a right to censor that. That's a whole different topic right there. I'm sure right. you got some ideas and thoughts on that. Oh, you, you know, I always have some idea or thought. So we, we're we both the same in that. <laughs> well, good. Well, I thank you again for uh, joining us here on the Roundtable console this week. Eric, maybe we can see if we can get you back on sometime soon. Uh, maybe even as early as next week and we can talk about what we were supposed to talk about today. Uh, you know how the conversation just evolves here on the Roundtable console. We start on one oh, yeah. thing and we may we follow wherever the lead goes. And yeah. uh, But I do appreciate your, your willingness to come on and speak openly about uh, some really difficult conversations and to help us to interrogate truth. Uh, because without the interrogation process, truth can never really be uncovered. Yeah, and I would just encourage, you know, any of the viewers, you know, both, you know, the black viewers, white viewers, look, we, I, I, I'm just telling you, Mark, you can probably agree with this. We, we want to have these conversations. We just need to, we just need to take a breath. We need to just relax a little bit so we can have some more open dialogue with one another. So we can come together as a people. And there's more people that want to solve these problems on, on both sides of the race issue than there are enemies. And so let's let's talk as brothers and sisters, not as as combatants. And let's uh, let's let's get this thing fixed so we can move forward uh, together as a people. Amen to that. Well, again, to all our viewers, thank you for joining us on the Roundtable Consult. You can catch us here every Saturday on Facebook Live at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also catch us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Until next week, we'll see you then.
This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.